today we're going to be looking at a story that is right from the pages of our 260 reading this week. Uh, many of you know that we have a Bible reading program going through the New Testament, takes us through the New Testament in a year, and uh, we just call it 260 because there are 260 chapters in the New Testament. And there's 260 weekdays every year. And so we invite people to read along with us. But this week, if you were reading along, you, you read this story. And, so, and even if you didn't, it's probably familiar to many of you. It involves water. It involves walking on water. Sinking in water. Disciples out on a boat in a storm. We're going to be unpacking this kind of verse by verse and taking it, uh, taking it apart so we can gain understanding and maybe learn along with those first disciples. And we're going to jump right into the middle of a story here, and you're going to be able to tell that immediately. We're picking up in Matthew chapter 14, in the back half of Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. And this is what Matthew recorded. He said immediately after this, right? There's the clue. We're jumping into the middle of a story. We'll get back to that in a moment. Immediately after this, Jesus insisted. Everybody say insisted. insisted. That his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. While he sent the people home. So what was going on here? What, what, what was happening when it says immediately after this? What was the this and what people was he sending home? So here's what we read. If you go back to the beginning of the book of, or the chapter of Matthew chapter 14, there's a couple of main things that happen in the first half of that chapter. Number one, Jesus learns that John the Baptist has just been killed, literally beheaded by a really evil ruler named Herod who had been uh, keeping John as his prisoner and he's beheaded. Which would have been, I mean, tragic just on a human level, but for Jesus, I think this would have hit him particularly hard, just getting this, this news for a few different reasons. Number one, God had sent John the Baptist like on this special prophetic mission. It was to call people to repentance to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus' ministry wouldn't have been Jesus' ministry if, if the hearts of people hadn't already been leaning in towards repentance. They would gone and been baptized by John the Baptist. So he was playing a very important role in the, the story of, of Jesus himself. But secondly, Jesus had this personal relationship with him. We know that because he went to John the Baptist himself to be baptized. They had this personal connection. He wasn't just a guy in Israel. They had this personal connection, but it goes even deeper than that. John was family. He was part of Jesus' extended family. Like, it is likely they like spent time as kids running around the, the hills together. It's very possible because this is what we know from the Christmas story. When you read in Luke, what you find is that Mary, or Mary was Jesus' mom. Her relative was Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mom. 
We don't know exactly what the nature, maybe it was an aunt. We, we were not sure. It doesn't say, it says that, that Elizabeth was Mary's relative. So, and that's exactly where God sent her when she finds that she's pregnant. And oh my gosh, so was Elizabeth pregnant at the same time. And so they were only six months apart. They were only six months apart. John was six months older than Jesus. They probably spent time as kids together growing up. This would have hit Jesus really hard. And so the next part of what we read in Matthew chapter 14 is it says that Jesus immediately wanted to withdraw to, it says, a solitary place. He wanted to get away just with his disciples. Like, like this is huge news. This is very impacting. And he wanted to get away. And so it says they get on a boat and they go to the other side of the lake to this solitary place, like where there's no town, there's no city, anything like that. And what happens is people figure out where Jesus is going. Thousands of people beat Jesus to the solitary place. He's going to a place like to get away by himself and just to go spend time with his father and, and like just with his, with his closest intimate friends. And here's what it says. It says that there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. So this could have been a, a crowd of could have been over 10,000 people that, that beat Jesus to the what? To the solitary place. It's like when you, you know, when you go camping and you do all the research, oh man, we just want to get away from it all, right? And you pull into the camping spot and there's like thousands of screaming people and trailers and tents and ah, you know? Yeah, that's what Jesus encountered. But here's something beautiful. It says when Jesus saw them, he had compassion upon them. It says that he healed their sick. These were needy people, and even though Jesus was trying to get away and just process what was going on in his own soul, his own story, it says he had compassion on them. Man, that tells us a lot about Jesus right there. And then as the day kind of got longer, and there's thousands of people here, the disciples realized, hey, Jesus, there is no place for them to get food. You better send them on their way because we're in a solitary place. Right? No Chick-fil-A down the street, and maybe it was Sunday anyway. So <laughs> nothing was open or available. Sent him on their way. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You feed him. It's like, well, we don't have any food. What, what, what do you have? Well, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. And here's thousands and thousands of people. Jesus sent them on their way. And he said, no, just have them sit down. And maybe you know this story as well, but it says that Jesus took that little bit of food, prays, and begins to break it apart, and it just multiplies as he's distributing it. Like this miraculous provision of food is happening. It says that not only did all those people get fed, thousands and thousands of people were fed from five loaves of bread and two fish, but it says, and I love this, it says that 12 basketfuls of leftovers 12. How many disciples were there? There was 12 of them. It says that 12 basketfuls of leftovers were collected by the disciples themselves, the ones that said, hey, there's not enough. They're like walking around afterwards with these. And then we get to, right at that point is when we get to the beginning of our story. Jesus insists that these disciples that are now carrying their like miracle leftovers 
quite the doggy bags, right? It says that he insists that they get back on the boat and leave him. And that he would stay and send the people away. When it says that he insists, Jesus insisted that his disciples lead him. That word insist is very, it's a very forceful word that Matthew chose here. It means that he compelled them. Like he forced them. That's what's like rooted in that word that he chose when he said he insisted. He's like, go now back on the boat. Go. Okay. You know, so they like trot off with their miracle leftovers and get back on the boat. And then then we pick up the story again in verse 23. And it says this, it says, after sending them home, he went up into the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. Jesus finally gets some alone time with his father. And it doesn't tell us what the nature of their conversation was, but I am quite confident that as he was reflecting on the fact that his friend and his relative had just been killed because of righteousness, because the role of what John the Baptist was playing in Jesus' own story. I mean, this would have way highlighted to Jesus once again, the reality that that was his own destiny, that he would shortly be killed. So I'm sure he was like talking to his father about the fact that he knew what his own destiny was. Maybe this was one of the first times that Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God, give me the strength, the courage, the, the will to keep going, even knowing what fate lies ahead of me. And this was no, like, sunshine hike to a park talking to Jesus. You know, it says very poignantly there that night fell. Jesus was alone in the dark for hours with his father. Now we get to verse 24, we catch up with the disciples. It says this, meanwhile, back on the water, the disciples were in trouble. Can you say those words? The disciples were in trouble. Far away from land, for a strong wind had risen against them, and they were fighting heavy waves. I want you to remember who had compelled them to get on this boat without Jesus. Jesus had sent them out right into the middle of trouble. He knowingly did this. He intentionally sent them out into trouble. Keep this in mind. Because listen, if the seas had been calm, we, we, we wouldn't have had any recording of this story. Like there's no story about how they came across to the solitary place. 
The story is here because the seas weren't calm. Because there's something else going. If the seas had been calm, there would have been nothing to report. Like the disciples would have just been chilling like under the starry skies, probably telling stories about like, man, did you see how like Jesus was like breaking that bread and like, it's like growing up, you know, just blowing up. Like how, what in the world? And you know, Thaddeus is like, I think it's still growing in me, blah. You know, and they're all laughing at, that's not in here. Because they were in trouble. Jesus didn't send them into calm seas. He sent them into trouble. And it says three specific things here that I want to point out to you. We're three specific kinds of trouble. And I I believe that we can relate to these. I I believe that each one of us has experienced the the three kind of things that he, he uses as an illustration to say, this is the exact trouble that we were in. And remember, Matthew was on the boat. And he's the one retelling this story. One They were isolated. It says they were far from land. And guess what? They were far from Jesus. Have you ever felt all alone in the middle of trouble? Like, God, I I can't see you. I don't know where you are. I I don't know why I'm out here all alone. But that is exactly how they felt right here in this moment. They felt isolated. They were in trouble. The second thing is that they were facing opposition. It said that the wind was against them. It was like, it really, when you read the text, it has this conspiratorial feel to it. Like the wind was conspiring against them, like in opposition to where they were going. When Jesus said to go, and like they were trying, but they were like facing opposition. They were in trouble. Have you ever felt opposed? By something or someone when you were trying to move forward to do the very things God had said to do. You know, maybe, maybe it's like through a person who just like, man, every time I tried to take a step forward, like this person is like hell bent on pushing me back. Maybe it's like an old addiction that like, man, I'm just trying, I'm making some good strides, I'm moving forward, and then all of a sudden, bam, this old addiction like pops up again at the worst possible moment, just trying to like drag me in the opposite direction. It's this fight, I'm I'm, I'm being opposed. And then of course we know that hell itself is opposed to us. We know this from God's word. And it says the evil one is an accuser. Like we try to do something right and the enemy just accuses us. Oh, you know who you really are. Rasta says the enemy is a liar. That everything he says is a lie. He cannot speak the truth. So every time we try to move forward, it's like this accusation and lies come against us. Listen, hell is opposed to you. It is opposed to your marriage. It is opposed to your children. It is actively working to pull you in the opposite direction of where Jesus said to go. They were in trouble. 
isolated, opposed. And then the last thing it says is they were beat up. It says, literally, it says they were beat up. It says that they were fighting heavy waves. And again, that word that, that Matthew chose to use to describe this nature of fighting, that word fighting like actually means that they were being tormented or beaten by these waves. Tormented by. Like they were maliciously coming against them and just, you know, some waves you can just kind of ride them out. One, you know, down one swell, up the next, down, you know, it's like, oh, we're getting seasick, but we're going to make it. This was different. This was like this, you know, crazy currents and things where they were being beaten. And remember, these, many of these guys were experienced on the sea because a lot of them were professional fishermen. We get those, that story right through the Gospels. They knew their way around the water, but it still says that they were being beaten. This was not normal. They were in trouble. Have you ever been there? Feeling all alone and isolated? Opposed, facing opposition? Feeling beat up by everything going on in life? And so Matthew very accurately says, we were in trouble. And he meant it. And we can relate What's surprising is to remember who sent them into trouble. <laughs> oh, Jesus. That's surprising. But then we get to this crazy, amazing part of the story in verse 25, where it says, About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. It is pitch black. They are absolutely exhausted from like fighting the wind and being beaten up by these waves, just trying to stay afloat. You know, they're in fear. They're, you know, this, this is not a good situation whatsoever. And it's right then that Jesus decides to bend the laws of nature. Now listen, you bend the laws of nature all the time. Is every time you take your little ice cube tray, fill it with water, it's in liquid form, and then you take it to the freezer and a couple hours later, you know what? You have bent the laws of nature. You turned a liquid into a solid. Jesus knows all about the laws of nature and miracles begin to make sense when you realize, oh, he wrote the laws. He's the author of the laws. And so whenever an author wants to rewrite part of the story to their advantage, guess what? They can do it because they're the author. And when we see miracles, that's really what it is. It's the author deciding, I'm going to just rewrite part of this story right here because I can and because I'm good, because I want to. And so Jesus bends the laws of nature, turns liquid into solid right under his feet, and here he is. But, then we read the very next verse. 
is hilarious because in one instant, the disciples go from troubled to terrified. <laughs> and that's exactly what it says. When the disciples saw him, verse 26, walking on the water, they were freaked out. It says they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, it's a ghost! <laughs> You know, he's these like 12 like beefy dudes, you know, fishermen, you know, it's like they cried like little school-age girls. No offense to any school-age girls. That's just kind of the voice I'm picturing right now, hearing in my head. It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once. Hmm. Well, thanks Jesus now for speaking at once left us out here for hours, right? But now when he shows up right at once, he speaks to them. He says three things, don't be afraid, he says. Take courage, I am here. <laughs> Listen, it's one thing for these dudes to have to have felt, uh, you know, faced natural adversaries you know, the wind and the waves and even the isolation, those are all like natural things. But then you throw in the supernatural and it freaked them out to the core. And remember, like hours ago, they watched this guy like multiplying food in his hands and they weren't terrified. They thought it was awesome. They thought this was the coolest thing since sliced bread. I got to say that. Okay. <laughs> the breaking of the bread and then multiplying and multiplying is like, this is amazing. But here, like when it was unexpected and it was in the dark and it was this weird supernatural thing going on, it's a ghost. And we realize, listen, sometimes it is the hardest to recognize Jesus when we're in the middle of trouble. They didn't recognize him. So I think what ends up happening is when we're in the middle of the storm, whatever kind of storm maybe you're facing, what we end up doing is Jesus shows up maybe in a way that we did not anticipate or expect and we misidentify what's going on. Our rescue is here, but we think, we're dying, right? Sometimes literally, sometimes figuratively, but we think we're dying. Jesus shows up and we do not recognize him. But Jesus is wanting to teach them something important. Something that they could not have learned about themselves or about Jesus if the seas had been calm, if they had not been in trouble. And I want to bring your attention to the three things that Jesus says to them. He says three things. He says, don't be afraid. Take courage. I am here. I want you to spend a, a few minutes kind of unpacking those, but I'm going to do it in the reverse order. One, he says, I am here. Friends, that changes everything. <laughs> Remember that 
disciples, what? They had been isolated, far from land, far from Jesus. And yet, here he is. Listen, I wonder if Matthew was thinking of this very moment when he wrote his gospel. Because the very last words that he writes at the end of the book of Matthew, you can check this out later, but do you know what Matthew writes? The very last thing was a quote from Jesus. When Jesus says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. You may feel isolated, you may feel alone, you may feel cut off from resource, from God himself, but the promise of the living God is I am with you always. I'm with you when we're kicking back on the hillside, breaking bread and doing miracles, but I'm also with you, present with you right in the middle of whatever storm you're going through, no matter what opposition you're facing, no matter how beat up you are, I am with you. You are not alone. Friends, Jesus is here. And it's his promise. The middle thing that he says is take courage. I think he speaks that right into this realization that they had been fighting opposition. You know, how, it just that wind that they were trying to move forward and it was just dragging them back. They couldn't find, you know, that place where they could just like tack against the wind and make progress. They were being opposed. And Jesus says, take courage. It's like, you may not feel like you're moving anywhere. You may not feel like you're advancing into the things that I've called you to do. You may not even be advancing in the things you want to do. But friend, when you're going where I have called you, you can always take courage. When you're going in the direction that I have sent you, you can take courage. You can make it. Why? Because I'm with you. Don't lose hope. Take courage. God is by your side. You can do this. And then he says this, the thing that that he started with, don't be afraid. And I think this might be maybe the hardest lesson for us to learn because, man, it's so easy to walk in fear. And, you know, we know that fear is a natural response. It's actually something kind of that God hardwired into our DNA is to, you know, fear is, you know, that fight or flight response, like there's danger and we sense that fear. And so we, you know, we jump, it's a ghost and we, you know, we get out of, get out of harm's way. It's like self-preservation, you know, that fear But I'm telling you, even though fear is something that is natural, it is a terrible teacher. It teaches us all the wrong things. It is a terrible motivator. Because when we are living in fear, being motivated by fear, 
unless it's just to get out of harm's way, step back and preserve our life. But when we start like, actually behaving in ways that is motivated by our fear, we, we can make some really stupid decisions. Yes. They're not going to like me if I don't go along with what they're doing. Fear. And so we end up going along with what they're doing, even if it's really stupid and harmful, right? How many of you had friends or, you know, it's like, if I don't sleep with him, he's going to leave me. It's fear. I'm going to lose this guy if I don't sleep. And so that fear can create that, unhealthy, broken motivation that, okay, I'm gonna give in to this and go in that direction. Fear is a terrible motivator. Or if I were to follow God's call on my life, I'm never gonna have enough. I'm never gonna be able to make ends meet if I, if I actually do the thing that I think that God has called me to do with my life. And so, we can waste away our years <laughs> chasing provision rather than running after the provider. You know what I'm saying? Fear will get us headed in the absolute wrong directions if we are not careful. And Jesus says, do not be afraid. Take courage. I'm here. And I believe that those three statements really need to be taken as a whole together. As like one idea that we need to like absorb into our spirit. <clears throat> where, where we realize because he is here, because he is with me, because he is still Emmanuel, God with us, that I can take courage and not give up when the fight is thick and when the night is dark and the storm is way bigger and longer than I would have ever desired. And I can be motivated by the fact that God is by my side, not that I am fearful of what's gonna happen next. When we get that deep in our spirit, it changes things. It changes things. It changes the dynamic. And then you know the, probably the next part of the story without us even reading it, but why don't we read it real quick and wrap up. It's here and then very next verse in verse 28 and 29. Then Peter calls to him, Lord, if it's really you, just pause there for a moment. Think about that. They had the great, you know, like concept that, okay, this appears to be Jesus. We're still trying to wrestle with, is this Jesus' ghost? Is this his spirit? Is this his angel? You know, I mean, they believed in angels. They believed in all those sort of things. They, they weren't quite for sure what was going on yet. And it was dark. 
three o'clock in the morning. And the waves were huge. They could not see him clearly. Keep that in mind for a moment. If it's really you, tell me to come to you. Walking on the water. <laughs> yes. Come. Jesus said, ah, oh, just two words. Yes, it's me. Come. <laughs> so Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water towards Jesus. And he does the crazy. And Jesus lets him. You know, I think Jesus sometimes will respond to the level of our faith. Jesus didn't say, hey, one of y'all, you're going to get out of that boat. Come walking on the... You know, Jesus responds, I think, often to the level of our faith. What are you believing for? Jesus is not the only one who walked on water, friends. A mere mortal. Peter, just a guy who is learning to be obedient to Jesus. And if you know the gospels and know the stories, he messed up frequently. Had a big mouth. Jesus had to keep correcting him. Didn't know what was going on a lot of the time. But you know what? Jesus responds to Peter's faith. <laughs> One affirming, yeah, it's me, Peter. Come and join me. And I've wondered, like, why did, Jesus, why did Peter ask Jesus to, you know, to summon him if it's really you? Listen, it's in John chapter 10 that Jesus reveals this truth to us. He says, my sheep know my voice. My sheep know my voice. Could it be that there will be times when you do not see what's going on with your own perception, with your own eyes? Like when I see what's going on in my story, I cannot get this figured out. It does not make sense when I look at it. Because the wind is real and the waves are real and the isolation is like I'm feeling it deep in my bones. Those things are like real. I'm wrestling through those things. I can't see God in this. But friends, can you hear his voice? Because my sheep will know my voice. We will like grow to this point where it's like, even when I can't see him, I can hear him. When I can't see things that make sense, his voice still makes sense. Now, praise the Lord for the word of God. Praise the Lord for the Old Testament and the New Testament, and that we can read the stories of God's people, and even through their stories and how they heard God, we can say, God, I'm learning to hear you like they did. God, through the stories of the disciples, feeling isolated, opposed, and beat up, but then they found you in the middle of the storm. God, I am learning your ways. I am learning to hear your voice. My sheep know my voice. They couldn't see clearly, but Peter knew that voice. 
when he was ready for it, when he was attuning him. See, they weren't, they weren't listening, waiting for Jesus, like, you know, when he shows up and freaks them out. They were just shocked, in shock. But as soon as he like, okay, I need to hear that one more time. It's Jesus. I'm getting out of the boat. It's crazy. And it's in Romans that we learn that faith comes by hearing anyway. Hearing the word of God. All it took was two words. Yes. Come. Speak to us, Lord. When we're in the darkest of nights, we're in the middle of trouble. Just, God, I need to hear you. Isn't that what Jesus was doing when he was alone with his father in the middle of the night in the dark? Father, I need to hear you. I need, I need to hear you. Even Jesus did that. Friends, can we remember that when we're in those situations, just speak to me, Lord. I need to hear your voice. Then in verse 30, <laughs> after being this mere mortal who walks on water, it says, but when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith, Jesus said. I think he said it laughing. I, you know, sometimes I just picture Jesus laughing. You can just draw little smiley faces in your Bible when you see that. I do. You have so little faith. Here's a guy who just walked on water. Jesus grabs him. You have so little faith. Jesus said, why did you doubt me? Come on, Peter. But listen, like Peter, our faith can fluctuate quickly. And Jesus doesn't leave our side. Even when our faith goes up and down, Jesus is consistent. Grabs him. I've got you. Your faith may fluctuate, but my presence and my power doesn't, says the Lord. Verse 32, end of the story. When they climbed back into the boat, the wind stopped. The lesson was over. What they needed to learn about themselves and about Jesus and what to do in the middle of a storm. The lesson was over. The wind stops. Then the disciples worshiped him. Pretty smart response. You really are the son of God, they exclaimed. Oh, what did they learn? They learned that Jesus is here. That Jesus is good. And that Jesus is Lord. He's here, he is good, he is Lord, even in the darkest of nights, the craziest of storms. Listen, there's many ways through the story that I think Jesus surprises us. But what surprises you more? That Jesus sent them into trouble? Or that he met them in the middle of their trouble? Let's pray. Oh, speak to us, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. 
God, we need to hear your voice. God, we need to hear you, not only when the seas are calm, but Lord, most urgently, Lord, when the seas are rough and when we feel far away from you, when we feel the opposition so strongly and when we're being beat up by life. Speak to us, Lord. God, I think you want to speak to some people right now. Lord, those who, like Peter, tuned their ears to you. And you know what, friends? I don't know what he's going to speak to you, but I just want you to just close your eyes and just have this holy moment with him right, right in this space. If you're online, man, join us in this. Just If you can, just close your eyes right where you are and just have this holy moment. Just say these words. Just speak to me, Jesus. I believe that God may call some of you into the deep, into the water with him. He may reveal to you right even in this moment the next part of your story. And I believe that he will respond to the level of your faith. So why not ask big? Say, Jesus, speak to me about this. I need to hear you, God. Speak to me. What is it that you want? Speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. There may be some others here that when you say, I don't even know if there is a Jesus. I don't even know if this God you talk about every Sunday is like for real. I know my trouble is real, but I don't know if he's real. But I believe that if you risk saying, God, if you're real, would you speak to me? I believe he will. <laughs> My dad is watching online from Texas. But if my dad were right here today, he would tell you that was my story. I really wasn't sure. I thought that maybe, but I'm not sure. So you know what my dad did? He said, God, if you are real, I'm gonna give you this next year of my life for you to show me. Friends, I believe that if you ask, he will respond because that's what God's word says. If you ask, he will answer. Speak to me, Lord. Mm. And I don't have to be a prophet to know the first things that he's gonna tell you he's going to tell you that you're loved and that you're not condemned but that he loves you and he's drawing you to himself that he could forgive you that he could cleanse you that he would be known by you intimately as a friend 
And if there's anyone here today and you recognize, I don't have that kind of relationship with Jesus, but I want to. I want to hear him. I want to trust him. Would you just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want a relationship with God. I'm saying yes to Jesus. Yeah, bro. Proud of you, man. I agree with you right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's so awesome. Agree with you. Yeah. You guys over here, yes, I see you. Yeah, God sees you. He knows. God, I want that relationship with you. I want to hear your voice. Anybody else, if I missed you, just, just wave at me real quick. Yeah, man. I'm proud of you. Yeah. Okay, man. I'm ask our ministry team to come up front, and I'm going to close with a reminder that Jesus will always surprise us. Sometimes by sending us into the storm or sometimes by meeting us right in the middle of it. But when you're there, don't forget, speak to me, Lord. And I believe we'll hear the same sort of things that those disciples heard. Don't be afraid. <laughs> Take courage. I am with you. It's me. Church, be blessed. Have an awesome week. Can't wait to be back with you next Sunday. Love you.